0: See you all here this morning. As we begin, though, I do have a prayer request to share. Uh, some of you uh, may have been aware, but probably most of us were not. Um, Donna Poe left uh, this morning early from Sunday school. Her sister uh, Joanne has been having some very severe chest pains, and so uh, she was very concerned. And of course, uh, her dad Omar went with her to see his daughter, her sister. So. As we begin our service or our message here, let's just take a moment and remember to pray for tonight. Let's pray. Gracious Father, things happen in life when we don't expect them, when we don't really want them to happen, and yet they do. We never take you by surprise. We were never caught off guard. But Father, we often are. And I pray for Joanne. I pray that you will give her comfort and strength and peace. We pray for the doctors as they're working with her. Give them wisdom. Father, we thank you for doctors and nurses and folks that are skilled in the healing arts. And yet, Lord, we realize that you are the giver of life. You are the sustainer of life. And so we appeal to you to intervene in Joanne's life and to grant her life. Father, we pray for all of our family members as they're concerned about her. Just bless them and give them your comfort and peace. And Father, help all of us to remember that the very next beat of our heart, the very next breath that we take, the very next thought that we think are all because of you. They are your gifts to us. And Father, help us not to take you for granted. Help us to realize that we live and move and have our being in you, that we are living in your world, breathing your air, eating the food that you've provided. So Father, help us all to live every moment in light of those truths. Speak to us now through your word, Father. I pray that as we look briefly, very briefly, at this little book of First John, so rich and so full in in all of its content. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to be enraptured by your word. Help us to gain these truths as a part of our lives so that we might know how to please you, how to live in this world. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we are going to uh, spend a couple of weeks here um, and just a very few on this little series in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, three little books that uh, often get neglected, but they are all three of them a mine, a wealth of information about who God is and how He wants us to live and how we can have a relationship with Him. It's written by a fellow named John, and if you've been around church much at all, you probably have heard John the Apostle, and you know that he was uh, one of three who were especially close to the Lord during his earthly ministry. Peter, James, and, who is John's brother, and John often appear with Jesus in in settings that maybe not all of the other disciples were involved in. Certainly, that was true at the Transfiguration when. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and uh, was transfigured before them. It was true in the Garden of Gethsemane when he took uh, Peter, James, and John to be with him a little bit further into that garden, uh, away from the other disciples. So John had a really unique relationship, I think, with the Lord. He was the youngest of the twelve. He was probably 15 or 16 when Jesus began his earthly ministry. So at the end, he would have been close to 19, maybe just getting to 20. Jesus' public ministry was about three and a half years in length. So he spent a lot of his formative years, late formative years, with the Lord. God obviously had a tremendous plan in store for John. Uh, he was... One of the last, he actually, he was the last apostle to die, and he was the only one who died of natural, what we would call natural causes. Now that's not to say that John didn't suffer during his ministry. He suffered tremendously. Uh, he was uh, was persecuted much as the other disciples were. He was exiled. You might remember to the island of Patmos. And exile was never a comfortable, easy life. So he endured much, but he also had great privilege. Uh, It was there on the cross that Jesus said to John, Behold your mother, referring to Jesus' own mother, Mary. And John took her into his home, and he cared for her until she died, at which time he began more of his ministry and ended up being the pastor at the church of Ephesus he was there for a number of years. It was probably from there that he was exiled. It sounds like maybe his preaching got him into trouble. And then he came back to Ephesus, and if tradition is correct, he died there in Ephesus. And one of the things that he was very, very well known for as an old man, folks would ask him, John, do you have anything to share with us today? And supposedly, if tradition is true, He would look at them and say, love one another. Tremendous, tremendous message. But it's easy to miss what that message is all about. Because we think of love as that gushy, weird, emotional feeling that comes over us uh, when, you know, we just have these thoughts towards someone else and we mistake Love for just attraction or infatuation or something we ate or what, I don't know. But we we don't have a good concept of what the love of God is all about as it's taught in the scriptures. So John is going to expand on those things in this little book. In fact, he gives us four reasons for his letter. Look with me in John chapter 1, verse 4. He says, these things we write to you so that your joy may be full. The purpose, one of the purposes of John's letter is so that those who receive it, those who read it, can have a fullness of joy. Notice he did not say so that you might have a good time. That's kind of the standard of this world, isn't it? Did you have fun? You go to church, and did you have fun? You ask your kids after Sunday school, did you have fun today? Fun is the standard of life. But fun is almost impossible to obtain, and certainly it is impossible to maintain if you ever experience it. Because fun, happiness, and all that kind of stuff is based on circumstance and experience. Our circumstances change all the time, don't they? And our experiences are not always pleasant. Notice that John uses the word joy. That your joy may be full. Joy is not rooted on experience. It's not rooted in our circumstances. Joy is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what is going on in our lives, there is that solid, unshakable, bedrock foundation of a relationship with Christ so that even if I die in this world, I live with Him forever. This world is passing away. John's going to talk about that in just a moment. This world is passing away. Well, if all of my hope is focused in this world, if all of my my fun and happiness is focused here, no wonder I don't have any joy because the thing that I'm focused on is passing away and I have no other hope. But if I am focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, if I have that relationship with Him, my joy is complete because even though this world is passing away, the Word of God tells me that there is a greater, better world coming in which Jesus Christ rules and reigns and we will rule and reign with Him. John gives us another reason for writing, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, you, you can tell he's, you know, one of those old guys, right? Because everybody younger than him is his little children. <laughs> it's a term of tremendous endearment. He loved his fellow believers. And these young believers, these, this next generation, you know, he's, he's well into his 90s by the time he writes this. And he's looking ahead. His immediate future is certain in his mind. And he is excited to be with his Lord. But he's thinking about these ones that are coming behind him. And he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now John is not trying to teach us that we can live sinless lives in this life. That's not his purpose at all. But John is writing to them to tell them that they don't need to give in to the temptations of life. You are no longer compelled to do that. Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from salvation, apart from the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us, when we were lost and separated from Him, we had no choice in the matter. We had to sin. That was our nature. That was like breathing. That was like eating. That that was just our whole life. Because we were separated from God. We were apart from Him. But now that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, now that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, that the believers are indwelt by His Spirit, now that we have those spiritual resources in our very own hearts and minds, we don't have to keep on yielding to temptation. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall we, who are dead to sin, live any longer in it? John wants to remind the disciples here, to remind the believers, I'm writing you so that you don't sin. You have resources. You have the Word of God. You're memorizing the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You have fellow believers around you who can pray for you and encourage you and support you. You don't have to keep walking down that road of temptation that leads to sin. But... He says, the rest of the verse, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John understands even our redeemed condition. Paul talked about that, didn't he, in Romans chapter 7? He said, The things that I want to do, I end up not doing. The things that I don't want to do, that's the very thing I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the bondage of this death? You know, we still live in this world, don't we? And and our hearts and our minds still at times kind of vibrate in sympathy with this world. We're not of this world. This world is not our home anymore. It's not our source of life and strength and health. It's not the source of our standards for living. But that old life still has some attraction to us. And we don't always do what we know is right. And when we fail, God doesn't throw us out Of his family. But he does bring conviction. And the good news is. We have. An advocate. With the father. We have one who will stand up. On our defense. And will plead our case. Because our advocate. Pleads his own blood. That was shed. For our sins. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, that's his human name. It means God saves. Christ, that's his divine title. That means the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Anointed One. The righteous. We can be accepted into God's presence not on our righteousness, but on his. His righteousness applied to our lives. There's a third reason why the Apostle John writes this letter. Chapter 2, verse 26. Now let's back up to verse 25. This is the promise that He has promised us. Eternal life. So we're still talking about eternal life, right? We're talking about being forgiven by God, being accepted by God, receiving the promise of God that we will be with Him forever, that nothing can separate us, as Paul says in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? And he goes down this long list. How about sword? How about famine? How about peril? How about this? How about that? How about that? How about that? He says, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so John, picking up on that, says, listen, beloved, therefore these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. John is writing so that his dear children are not deceived. Have you taken a look at the broad spectrum of Christianity these days? Or even the broader spectrum of religion and spirituality? Boy, there's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of trash that's trying to promote itself as truth John does not want these dear children, this next generation those who are following he doesn't want them to get all caught up in this garbage that does not yield spiritual truth it doesn't yield salvation it yields only death, destruction and deception and so you turn the TV on And you see some guy say, oh, you send me money and we'll send you a double blessing. Trash. Turn it off. You see somebody promoting some other kind of way to salvation. You know, you you do these good things and and you just have all these good works and somehow it always keeps coming back to sending money. But you do all this stuff and and boy, you're going to be in. God's going to bless you. God's going to. Accept you. Don't listen. It's trash. You hear people saying, well, you know, Jesus never really came in the flesh. This whole New Testament thing is something that these wishful thinkers made up. It's not really true. Don't listen. You hear somebody say, well, you know, Jesus was a great man. He was a great philosopher, a great teacher. He died a martyr for a wonderful cause. Did he do all those miracles? No, those, those are just myths. They're stories told to illustrate a spiritual truth. Throw them out. They don't have any idea what they're talking about. They're denying the Lord, even while they mouth his name. There's a lot of deception in this word, beloved, and John is writing so that these dear folks will not be deceived and led astray. you saying, I mean, is that even possible? Well, yes, it is. For example, in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this to that church, which was a very spiritually immature church. They struggled. They had more problems than you could shake a stick at. I'm so thankful that I'm not the pastor of the church of Corinth. This is what Paul said. He's talking about some of these teachers. He said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end is according to their works. In other words, they're going to get what they deserve, which is damnation forever. Beloved, this is why I encourage you to get into this book for yourself. If all the spiritual instruction and training and teaching and experience you have is here on a Sunday morning, you're going to die of starvation. You need to feed yourself. You need to get into the Word of God and read it. And if there's something there that you don't understand, give me a call. And and if I understand it, I'll explain it. And if I don't understand it, we'll both discover it together. But, But you've got to get into the Word of God because there are deceivers out there who will use the name of Jesus, who will talk about all kinds of spiritual things, and they'll sound wonderful... And they are leading you astray. Paul also warned Timothy about this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 starting at verse 24. He said the servant of the Lord. He's writing to Timothy. We we call 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus the pastoral epistles. Because Paul's writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor. And he's kind of sharing how Timothy should conduct himself. He says a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. But be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Paul is not writing to Timothy about how to deal with the so-called unbelievers He's writing to Timothy to tell him how to deal with people in the church. And it is possible that people in the church can get their minds off of the Lord and be distracted by other things and end up ensnared by the devil and actually accomplishing his purpose. Boy, that's astounding. You say, did that person get lost? No, they got confused. They got led astray. They weren't listening to the Word of God. And they got led astray. That's why Paul says to Timothy that they may come to their senses. In other words, they wake up and see oh, I'm not following the Lord. I'm following my own desires. I'm following some faction within the church. I, I, I'm, I'm not following the Lord. I've been deceived. And they can wake up and come to their senses and repent. And get back on the right track. John says, I don't want you to be deceived. Number four we find in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John says, and I'll pick it up in... Uh, verse 11, it says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe In the name of the Son of God. Some folks will ask, you know, I don't know if I have salvation or not. How how can I know if I'm saved? Well, John figures that you can know. You can know. And John gives us some tests here so that we can know for sure where we stand with the Lord. You don't have to wait until one day you stand before Him to know what your spiritual condition is, you can know right now, here, today, what your spiritual condition is with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why John is writing. He says, I want you to know that you have eternal life, and our life is in Jesus. It's in His Son. First of all, that's the the very first test. The very first test to confirm whether or not we know is that we believe in his name. Now that's a whole package. And that doesn't mean that you're saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, he, he existed. Kind of like Abraham Lincoln, you know. I believe he existed. No, that's not it. Belief in Jesus Christ means that you understand who he is. That he is God himself himself The second person of the Trinity who has come to this earth, who has taken on human flesh, who has lived among us and lived a sinless life. You and I can't do that. Even as Christians, we're not going to live a sinless life. But Jesus did because he is both God and man. And to believe on Jesus Christ means that you believe that He performed those miracles that are recorded for us in the the Gospels. It means that you accept as fact His claim to be God. It means that you also understand that you cannot get to heaven on your own merits. That Jesus came into this world to sacrifice himself for our sin. He took the father's punishment for sin upon himself. So that we who believe in him can be forgiven and set free. Some people say, "Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus." Well, what do you believe about him? Well, I don't know. you know, I just believe in Jesus. That's not saving faith. You can believe in Abraham Lincoln the same way. You can believe in George Washington the same way. You can believe in me the same way, and it's not going to get you to heaven, I guarantee it. It's not just a, a matter of saying, Yes, I believe a certain fact. Now you act upon it. You say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You stop denying God first place the only place in your life as long as that pride and arrogance and self will is there salvation can't be there but when we humble ourselves before almighty God and we seek his forgiveness and we admit our sin. That's when Jesus comes and he cleanses us and he forgives us and he makes us his child. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 23. It says, This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. This is, this is what God expects of all of us. Okay? This is His commandment to humanity. Believe on Jesus Christ. Accept who He is, the Son of God, the Savior. Submit yourself to Him. Trust in Him to cleanse you of sin. Believe on Him. It's that package deal. And when we do that, we are saved. Chapter 5, verse 13 puts it this way. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. If you're here this morning and and you have never in your heart and mind acknowledged that Jesus is God in the flesh, that He came here to die for your sin, Your personal sin and the sin of the whole world. See, we can say that, oh yeah, Jesus came to die for sin. He came to die for the sin of the world, but you know what? I'm okay. He didn't come for me. I'm I'm all right already. We can try to fool ourselves into thinking that, well, yes, he he died for those wicked people over there, but I'm not so bad. I'm I'm pretty good, you know? No, it's for me and for the whole world. That's where our salvation begins. Obedience to Christ's command is another test so that we can know. Listen to the words that Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 verse 46 during his public ministry. He was engaged in a conversation with the religious leaders and he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things which I said? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon the rock. But he who heard and did nothing... It's like a man who built a house on earth without a foundation. When the streams came against it and beat against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Faith in Jesus Christ demands action. If you really believe something, you act upon it, don't you? believe that those pews will hold you up and sure enough they are. How do you know that? Because you acted upon your belief and you sat down. Belief and action are the two sides of the same uh, two different sides of the same coin and you can't split that coin apart. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you believe that we are accountable to Him, you believe that He is coming back to reward His children, if you believe that, you will act accordingly. If you don't believe it, you will act according to what you do believe. And that's real clear and simple, isn't it? John is like that throughout this book and throughout the gospel and throughout the other two books. For John, it's it's black and white. There's not any gray area. He uses light and darkness. In him is no darkness at all, he says when he's talking about Jesus. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light, we will do what Jesus did. If we walk in the light, our actions will demonstrate The validity of our beliefs. But if we say that we know him and we walk in the darkness. John's real bold. He says we're liars. And the truth is not in us. And that's astounding isn't it? Look at chapter 1. Verse 6. There it is. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, in other words, you say you're a Christian, you love God, you have fellowship with one another, and you walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's powerful stuff. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. He said, there's going to be many that will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? And and didn't you eat and drink in our presence? And and, and didn't we perform miracles in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Beloved, Don't get caught in this idea that salvation happens because you're associated with a church organization. No. It's not an external thing. It's internal. It is in the heart and mind. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is inside. Now, the outside is always affected by that. But if you come to to think about God as being a list of things you don't do and a list of things that you do, you're missing the point. Our, Our salvation is not based on our doing. Our salvation is based on our relationship. And when we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes us from the inside out and then the doing changes. It's like getting the cart before the horse if you try to think of it the other way around. So when, when, when we invite people to come to church, that's a good thing. But you can't leave it there. Because people can come in and out of these doors and learn the songs and learn the language and say nice things and look nice and act nice and, and be absolutely lost. Invite them to church where they can hear the truth and their lives, their hearts, their minds can be transformed. That's the power of the gospel. That our lives are transformed. James chapter 2 verse 17 says this. Thus also faith by itself if it doesn't have works is dead. And now someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, you can tell me that you're something, and how will I know? You could could stand here, and if we didn't know each other, you could say, you're a famous brain surgeon, and I'd be really impressed. Wow, that's great, wonderful. Wonderful. And then the next week maybe I need brain surgery and I come to you and I say, you know, um, you say you're a famous brain surgeon, how about it? And the proof is in the doing, isn't it? The proof is in the doing. You say you're a Christian. Wonderful. I'll take it at your word. But the proof is in the doing, it's in the living. It's in the attitude, it's in all the things we go about each day. So John's third test is whether or not we have love for God and others. Look with me, chapter 4, verse 21. This is the commandment we have from him that that he who loves God must love his brother also up down there to verse 2 of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. See, John doesn't separate those, does he? He doesn't separate love and obedience. Parents, how do you know that your kids love you? When they obey, right? That's real simple. How does God know that we love us when we obey? He goes on, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Why are they not burdensome? Why are we memorizing that passage there in Matthew 11? It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, I think it's this. Because when the one that we love the most in all the world asks us to do something. We are just naturally delighted to do it. It's not hard. It's not hard. It would be harder for us to say no to the one that we love than it would be to do what they've asked us to do. And the one that we love the most in the world who loves us the most is not asking something unreasonable is not asking something that that is harmful to us but rather is commanding us to do that which is best for us now I I must admit when I was a little boy and my parents gave me some commands I didn't always think that they were the best thing for me Um, looking back in hindsight I can see that they were I can see that when mom and dad were telling me to do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that, they really did have my best interests at heart, even though I didn't recognize it at the moment. But when the one who shed his blood for us commands something of us, we shouldn't look at it as being burdensome. We should look at it as something that we can do for him to express our love back to him. John has so much more to say in this little book. We have not even scratched the surface. But let me share a couple questions with us, things that we ought to think about, things that I think all come from this book. First of all, is your joy complete? in the Lord? Or are you looking for the joys of life somewhere else? What are you spending your life doing? Are you looking for earthly joys? If you are, you'll be disappointed. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, see, here's John, black and white again. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. And by the way, that word lust, It just means strong desire, passion. It doesn't have to be an inappropriate sexual kind of thing. It can be a, a lust for a new house, a lust for a new car. It can be a lust for power and prestige. It can be a lust for a thousand Facebook friends, more than somebody else has. I mean, that wrong desire, that lust can be directed toward all kinds of stuff. And all of those things, if if that's what's running our lives, that's not from the Father. That's from this world. And this world is passing away. So what is your chief joy? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it your relationship with Him? Is it the confidence of eternity? And no matter what happens in this world, that we're not going to be separated from Him. And we're going to have even greater things than we can possibly imagine in glory. Or is your joy found right here? Here's another question Are you overcoming sin or is sin overcoming you? Are those temptations things that you're saying no to? We can't avoid temptation, it's there all the time. Are we saying no to it or are we giving in? Are you able to discern truth from error? In the midst of all the voices and philosophies shouting for your attention today? When you hear somebody on TV or the radio or the live stream or whatever it is that you happen, to you read something on the, the Kindle or whatever, are you able to discern truth from error? Is there that little bell inside going, ding, 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 ding? Yep, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You know, it's kind of like, and I've used this illustration before. If you handle genuine money long enough, you know, you work in a bank, you handle the real thing enough, when somebody puts the wrong thing, the counterfeit thing in your hand, you, you just sense it. There's a It's like something's not right here. And sure enough, oftentimes, it's true. It's a counterfeit bill. As you're listening to the stuff of this world, Is there a little bell going off? Something's not right here. I, I don't know. It sounds good on the surface, but it seems to me like... And maybe you can't just lay your finger right on it, but your gut instinct is that this thing is wrong. It doesn't line up with Scripture. And so then you go and you do a little search, and you know, invariably, God will show you where it's wrong. And you'll be able to thank Him and say, thank you for not letting me be deceived. Do you have that kind of discernment? You have the peace in your heart that comes from obeying God's commands when you do what's right. All these things are confirmatory evidence that our salvation is genuine. But beloved, if you're here this morning and you don't have that, it doesn't have to stay that way. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is constantly ready to receive a repentant soul to himself. Maybe you're a believer, but you've you've not cultivated that relationship, and you know, you know that it's cold. You come to Jesus right now this morning, and you say, Lord, I have I have been deceived, I have walked away, I have stopped listening to you, I have I've not allowed Your Word to penetrate my heart and mind as I should. Forgive me and and renew a right spirit within me. Refresh my soul in Yourself. And He will do it. You come to Him in sincerity and, and, and ask for His forgiveness and for a renewed sense of His Spirit in your life. And he will do that and then there's obedience on your part isn't there if it was a lack of reading the scriptures that got you going in the wrong direction guess what <laughs> get back into the book and it'll be a joy but if you're here this morning and you've never come to that place yet where you've put your trust in Jesus Christ where you've never made that that initial commitment that God, I am a sinner and I need to be saved. Please have mercy on me. Today is the day to do it because you don't know that you have tomorrow. You don't know that you have this afternoon. You have right now. Now is the time for salvation. Now is the time to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is just so rich and full and no matter how often we come to it, we always see new things there. Not that they're new, they've always been there, but our hearts and minds are open and ready to receive it. Father, I pray this morning that all of us will consider what John has to say in this powerful book and that we won't just be satisfied with having looked at these half dozen verses from it this morning, but that we'll go home and read it this afternoon and again tomorrow and again the next day and we'll we'll let your Spirit soak our minds and our hearts in this Word so that we might understand it much, much more completely. Father, we want to grow in our faith. We want to enjoy that assurance that comes from knowing Jesus Christ is our Savior, from walking a life of obedience with Him. And Father, I pray this morning for those that might not know Him yet. Lord Jesus, may they drop their pride, may they drop that arrogance, may they come to You humbly and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know that's why Jesus came and died. I know that's why he rose again. Forgive me and make me your child. And Lord, you will be so pleased to do that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.